Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. Glad that you've joined me once again. And I am delighted to have, uh, hopefully, a familiar voice and name to many of you. Trevor Hudson is joining me today on the podcast. And some of you might recognize his name uh, from the podcast, yes, but also back in my days of uh, radio on Midday Connection, where um, we worked through the content of a book of his that is still a favorite of my husband, Mike's and mine, Discovering Our Spiritual Identity book slash workbook. It's, it's a wonderful spiritual formation resource that I highly recommend. Mike and I have taken many groups through it and um, just love that. But very excited to be able to talk with Trevor today about another book, Seeking God, Finding Another Kind of Life with St. Ignatius and Dallas Willard. And I'm excited about that. And let me just give a quick introduction so I can officially welcome Trevor to our conversation today. He's an ordained minister in the Methodist Church of Southern Africa and uh, was in pastoral ministry for many years, 40 years, and uh, now gives his time to lecturing, teaching, and writing in the areas of spiritual formation and spiritual direction. And it's so good to have you back, Trevor. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Uh, thank you, Anita. And uh, thank you so much for the privilege of this conversation and a warm greeting to, to all those who will be uh, listening to the podcast. It's, it's really a joy for me. Thank you. And I am grateful for technology because you are talking to us, I think, today from South Africa. Is that correct? I am. I'm talking to you from just outside Johannesburg uh, in a, a town called Benoni. And if ever you were to arrive in South Africa at our airport, uh, I'm the closest town to the national airport. Wow. Love that. Uh, how long have you been out of pastoral ministry now and just teaching and lecturing and traveling? Mm -hmm. I stepped aside uh, uh, as I had to. Uh, I was a pastor in the Methodist Church of Southern Africa at the age of 65. I'm 71, so it's been six years of, <laughs> okay. uh, of, of, of life beyond the pastorate. And, and have those been good years? Have you enjoyed you know, that? They, they, thank you. Yes, they've been, they really have surprised me uh, with uh, lots of opportunities for, uh, for creative contribution to God's work uh, all over the place. So they really have been uh, special years. Nice. That's, uh, I'm glad to hear that because I think it's interesting when we cease a career that has been um, long lasting and full, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. sometimes there can be some mm. space of grief not that you didn't experience mm. that. I don't know, but um, sometimes there can be a real struggle to cross the next threshold and into the new thing that God might have for us. Yes, it's been, it, it had its moments of fragility. Um, and 
and and yet it it has been it has been a good time to navigate uh, in a nice. in a new way. Nice. Well, I have to ask you about seeking God. I mean, I knew that that whatever came from your hand um, by way of writing would have to do with spiritual formation, have spiritual practices included, etc. But I thought it was so interesting, the subtitle, Finding Another Kind of Life with St. Ignatius and Dallas Willard. I know Dallas Willard was a friend of yours. Um, he certainly has been a spiritual mentor to many. Uh, I can't put, uh, I'm sure you can state this exactly, but I can't put a date on how many years since he's passed away. Um, but his legacy lives on and his legacy <laughs> lives on also through this book. Um, I would love for you to talk about what went into your thinking um, of writing Seeking God and why coupling St. Ignatius and Dallas Willard. Thanks, Anita. I think uh, quite briefly, I think uh, two predominant reasons uh, that I brought them together. The one my own experience uh, with both, both of those people in my own life. Uh, I did the spiritual exercises of Ignatius in 1990. So Ignatius kind of stepped into my life uh, uh, 30 odd years ago. And Dallas, um, our friendship began uh, in 1985. So both of them were, have been very large figures in my own understanding of what it means to follow Christ. And um, so that was reason, reason number one. The second reason, uh, I think both of them in their own contexts, even though separated by five centuries, uh, both of them in their own contexts um, were kind of reformers uh, within their own worlds, Ignatian within the Spanish Catholic world um, and, and Dallas Willard within the evangelical world of the USA. So both of them were kind of reforming voices. Um, and as I uh, got to know them both, uh, one through the exercises, the other more personally, I had the very strong sense that fundamentally, they, they, fundamentally they were saying something quite similar. And I just wanted to bring those two voices together and hope, hopefully as well, uh, just put my own voice in there with a South African accent. <laughs> I love that. Well, and I'm thinking, even as I heard you say that, I thought about my own life and spiritual formation um, and how important, well, how, twofold, how in my growing up years, very much the people I was surrounded by stiff-armed anything that came from the Catholic Church, and and that sure. thinking shifted. Great, I'm so grateful for that, and and uh, I saw some of my own formation happening because of some of the marvelous things that um, had been experienced by our friends in the Catholic Church for many years that I just wasn't aware of. Eventually, becoming a spiritual director, which was something that was much more prevalent in the Catholic Church, though it is certainly gaining, for lack of a better word, popularity, I guess, in the Protestant world. Um, and so I, I love that, um, that you're bringing these two together, but that's not always been the case, certainly. 
Sure, sure. And I really do hope, Anita, that in some way it um, it contributes to the ongoing bridge building uh, yes. between these two massive um, streams, you know, the Catholic stream, the Protestant stream. And I think what is certainly what has intrigued me most uh, here in South Africa for almost, well, since about 1995, I've been engaged in the training of spiritual directors and also in terms of training folk to give the exercises. And what has really struck me has been that these uh, training uh, events have spontaneously brought together people on the ground from both a Catholic and a Protestant background. And so I think there's, there's something about the treasure itself of the spiritual exercises, which the, the Jesuits have very not the spiritual exercises themselves, that seems to naturally bring uh, folk from these two backgrounds together, some of the emphases of the exercises. Yes, yes, I agree. And and I think, and I have, I have several questions about that, but um, I, before we even get into that, I was thinking about your title, um, Seeking God. I mean, that's, that's really the bottom line. And, and early on, I underlined in your book, um, this sentence, when we cease seeking, we find ourselves in danger of dying spiritually. And I, I mean, it just leapt off the page at me because I've seen those who have ceased seeking and I've watched them shrivel and move away from um, sure. flourishing life. And then I've seen others who have moved in the other direction and the um, abundance. And I don't say that, I, I don't mean lack of struggles and issues in their life, but a spiritual sure. abundance that has, that has happened. So I, anyway, I loved that your title and I also appreciated that sentence and the importance of that we m must continue seeking. Yes. Thank you, Anita. Yes. And, and I think, you know, again, you know, I was wanting to, if I may use the word deconstruct one idea that somehow um, before you, uh, as it were, become a Christian, you are a seeker, then you become a Christian and then kind of seeking stops. So we have kind of seeking services for, quote, unquote, the unchurched, quote, the lost. But then you get kind of found and all the seeking stops. But I think, you know, the theme of seeking is just so prevalent throughout the scriptures. Um, and I don't need to do a, a kind of Bible study here, but I just think of Jesus's oft quoted come on, uh, invitation, you know, seek first the kingdom. And, and there's this clear, um, this clear invitation to keep seeking God and to keep seeking God's kingdom uh, and reign within our lives and communities. I think the other play on words is in the title Seeking God, is that God is also a seeking God. Uh, so our seeking, uh, our seeking of God is, is very deeply, deeply rooted uh, and grounded in God's seeking of us. And, some, and I, really, I, I really do believe that our longing for God 
um, is really an echo of God's longing for us. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm, you know, exclamation pointing that. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I would also love for you to speak to the fact that um, you're really so much of your work, all, all of the writings of yours that I'm aware of, and I'm certainly am not aware of all, but um, they all are in the stream or realm of spiritual formation. And I know that you talk about the importance of that to the church. And I will, and I don't know if these are interchangeable terms, but I will often use the term spiritual formation in place of discipleship, partly because I think that, that, that the meaning of that is lost or people don't know what that is. And I feel like being spiritually formed is easier to understand, but Talk about the importance of that spiritual formation to the church and in the church today. You know, I, I think so often there's a sense in which, um, how do I put this? We, we kind of get born again, but don't learn to live again. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and, you know, that, 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 that somehow when I come to Christ or Christ becomes more important in my life or I embrace him into my life, there's a sense in which he, he then takes me on a journey in which and through which um, I, we become, can I say, more alive, more human, and that journey itself for me is a journey of formation or mm -hmm. transformation. Um, so for me, you know, for me, really underlining, underlying the gospel fundamentally, that the gospel, in fact, is an invitation to discover another kind of life, to become a, to become a, to become all that God wants us to be. And that implies for me a journey of formation and it invites me into a journey of formation. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, and I, I appreciate you explaining it that way as well, because I think um, our, our spiritual walk from the moment we say yes to Christ, it's, or even before that moment, it, it is all invitational, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Definitely. And, and I think, again, it also just, it just underlines that, you know, from the very moment we are born, we are, we are receiving a formation for better or for worse, mm -hmm. that everyone everyone in some sense uh, receives a, a spiritual formation from the word go. And somehow when I get, get engaged with God, when I get engaged with the Trinity, I then enter an, another process of formation, which often involves a lot of unlearning in terms of how I have been formed right. and to be open and to the invitation to become a new person in Christ. Um, one of the things uh, that I wanted to mention that I really appreciate and I think this is something that you're known for. <laughs> I just want to say before I forget it, I, I don't want to get along in, the, in our conversation, forget it, but you have these seeking exercises at the ends of chapters. And I always love how you engage us beyond just the 
printed word on the page. Why is that an important part uh, for you? Very simply because I think information alone does not transform us. Uh, And I think that we have so much content coming at us, but I think our own experience tells us that information, important as it may be, um, is not transformative in itself, that somehow there needs, we need to go beyond information into a more interactive engagement uh, with, what, with what we're reading. But much more importantly, we need to go move into a, a more interactive um, a connection w- with God. God's self. And so I love, I love offering exercises whereby the reader and God uh, can move into some kind of mutual interaction. I love that and appreciate, always appreciate that about um, your books. Uh, one of the chapters in, in the book is called discerning our deepest desires. And I don't know why I'm a spiritual director, but I still can struggle as I relate to or talk with or try and explain this to people. Um, How we, how that process works, how we discern our deepest desires. I do think it's a hard concept um, because we we think very surface-ish, I guess. And, and I would love for you to talk a little bit more, a little deeper about this and, and help us understand this. Perhaps I can just say two things as simply as I can. And the one would be on the one hand uh, that, that God is a God of enormous desire, that God has, that God has desired us into being that God actually wants us to be here, that our very lives are an expression of God's own desire and longing. So we are made in the image of a God who desires, a God who longs. I I have to break in. I just have to say, I love that. God has desired us into being. I I think that's a great phrase. And I'll I'll let you carry on. I just had to say that. Uh, and so I think fundamentally, fundamentally to be to be created in God's image is to be a desiring being uh, that that you and I are desiring beings. And I think the tragedy is that often as we, I think, get older, get caught up in the, um, you know, just the uh, hectic nature of our everyday lives, I think there's, there grows a distance between our hearts and the desires of our hearts, particularly the deepest desires of our hearts. And so I think many of us, including myself, at times we live at a distance from our deepest desires. And I think, uh, and so often it takes um, sometimes a critical event in our life or or sometimes uh, it takes a a willingness by by ourselves to actually 
set aside some space whereby we again can get in touch with our hearts from which we have distanced ourselves. And, and because we are created in God's image, I think that we, as we get in touch with the deepest desires of our heart, we get in touch with that, that fundamental longing and desire for God, even though we may not put it in those words. Um, it may be a desire for connection, for transcendence, a desire for, for a relationship, a, re a, a desire for meaningfulness. But I think fundamentally, our deepest desire is one that takes us in a Godward direction. That was powerful. That was just well said, succinctly said. I think uh, I was making a few notes as you talked, Trevor, because I think your comment about being caught up in, um, and I don't know the exact words, but just the busyness of life, whatever it is that we live at a distance from our deepest desires. I think we get caught, what I'll maybe sometimes say, caught up in this space of, of shallow desire. And yet we feel sure. uh, there's this, this pull for something more, but we, um, sure. but there's sure. a, a barrier. We get sure. stuck there. Right. And I, I think that was so well, I, I don't, know if, don't know if you want to add or respond to what I said, but. Right. You know, and I think then I've been a pastor for 40 years, people would seldom say to me, would seldom use the language of deepest desire, but they would say often something to me like, you know, you know, um, I don't know, something, you know, something's missing in my life. I, I can't put my finger on it. You know, things are going fairly well with the job and the marriage and the kids, but something things missing or you know um i'm really looking for something more i think little phrases like that yes. often would be would be would be little openings for me in conversation with them perhaps to drill down a little bit yeah. uh to to the level of the heart i have to ask how how um you you are a spiritual director and I don't know how many years of your pastoral ministry you were a spiritual director as well. That has to have been such a, an aid to you in that pastoral ministry. Sure. Yes. Yes. I'll, I'll always be grateful for, for my journey, you know, in the world of spiritual direction, because, you know, as you're hinting at, there's a sense in which one can take or bring some of the competencies that maybe we grow as spiritual directors, that we can bring those competencies into almost every conversation that we have. So even a, you know, even a, a conversation in the car park uh, outside of church on a on a um, you know on a Sunday, it one can bring to that the, the kind of listening presence, the kind of wondering questions that maybe would characterize a spiritual direction relationship. And I think there's a very real sense in which every conversation, in fact, can become a sacred conversation. Um, I will often say it's not new with me, but everything is spiritual. We are we are whole beings. Sure. Nothing is compartmented sure. out. Sure. Um, but but sometimes it takes a a change in our thinking um, in order yeah. to see life that way and to see every conversation it, um, through that right. grid, maybe or through that 
right. that lens. That's maybe a better word. Um, Trevor, I think about the, the world in which we live today. And I, and I think sure. what you're writing about is incredibly important, um, but it is overlaid on a world that is experiencing some significant struggles. I mean, that's an understatement. I know sure. what, what COVID looked like here in the United States and still looks like. I don't know exactly what it looked like for you and uh, your friends, family, and church members sure. there in sure. South Africa. But then you add on to it uh, uh, a war happening you know, with sure. Ukraine and Russia, sure. things that we watch daily sure. on the news, sure. layer over it all, all kinds of um, right. very difficult things. Um, and how do we, as uh, people of faith, you know, how do we relate to others in, in this suffering world? Right. Now, that's a huge question, Anita, and one that we wrestle with very, very deeply within the, the uh, South African context at many, many different levels. Uh, right from the you know the days of apartheid and now into you know the, our life as a young democratic nation, and COVID has certainly ex exposed all the um, you know all the the the, the painful uh, boundary lines in society. So um, let me just make two comments. I think I think in t I think certainly my own history in South Africa has both in terms of the struggle against apartheid and also in terms of the creation of a new democratic society. I think what's become very clear for me is that there is a desperate need for a, and let me use a phrase that I hope does not get misunderstood, a new kind of human being that, that somehow somehow our desperate need to regain our humanity. Um, uh, and for me, the, the journey of faith essentially is about us again rediscovering what it means to be image bearers, what it means to be human beings. So that's the one thing I want to say. And I think the other thing I want to say very simply, is that for me, the acid test of any faith, um, genuine faith of following Christ, for me, the acid test is not whether I pray or read scripture or go to church, important as all of those things may be. I think the acid test for me is whether I'm becoming a more compassionate human being. And so if, if, if our efforts in spiritual direction, spiritual formation, etc., are not leading us towards that kind of transformation in which we are becoming more human and more compassionate. There is something that is off key, um, and we and we need to be aware of that. So I hope that's a. I know that's an inadequate response, but I really hope that it's a helpful response to a very important question. I think it's a really helpful response. And, and I'm just thinking uh, that, that it's even a reason why some people have maybe come into church for many years and found themselves kind of fading away because they weren't experiencing 
that more compassionate side of humanity inside the doors of that church, you know, for instance, I, so I think that's really interesting. I think that uh, generations that are coming up right now, they, their eyes are wide open and they are really looking for those who are a compassionate presence. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I quote, if if I remember correctly, I quote a study in seeking God whereby they, did an exhaustive uh, research into the uh, major reasons for those who've perhaps given up on church or who have no church allegiance. And I think coming out right at the top of the research, which I quote in the book, is the, the lack of compassion that is discovered within the context of the church. Yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. I want to hit the pause button here for a few moments and just kind of sit with that. But alas, we, well, we need to continue with the conversation, but that's, those are the things that give, give us all or ought to give us all pause and to think about who am I becoming? You know, who, what, yes, am I becoming more like Christ or am I, you know, what, what, Am I living a a life of compassion in the world? What am I leading with as I go out the door of my house each day, you know, as I hit the grocery store or the coffee shop? Um, I think those are some critical questions. I I think it's, I think, I think, Anita, I think it's a question of are we credible? You know, do do we live, do I, Trevor, live in the house of my own words? Um, Yes. You know, do do I give God a good reputation by the way that I relate to others? And particularly, do I give God a good reputation in the way that I relate to those who suffer most in my society? Well, and Trevor, Trevor, one of the things that comes to mind for me, even hearing, sadly, even hearing you say that are, and I have no idea, not looked into the news in South Africa, but we uh, have been plagued with some church scandals and denominational scandals uh, of abuse, power abuse, sexual abuse. And, you know, really you're, you're speaking to that. Are, you know, are we credible? I love that phrase. Do I live in the house of my own words? Um, and we can only answer that question and live out that the response to that question ourselves. We cannot do it for sure, anyone else. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it has been a very painful time for the church in terms of the, um, the coming to light uh, the terrible, terrible abuses. And I think, I think that even underlines perhaps even more the challenge for myself and for others, for us to be credible witnesses. I think people are, given the uh, instability of the times, given the overwhelming suffering of the times, given the crises that you've mentioned, I do think that people are looking for credible witnesses to credible witnesses to a compassionate and human life lived within this context. And I, I think that is a challenge facing particularly people who call themselves by the name of Christ. 
that's powerful. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Um, a couple more questions I could talk on and on here, really listen on and on. <laughs> Trevor, I could be quiet and just let you talk here. Um, and, and I really, I, I want to highly commend to people seeking God because there's so much more, you know, we're touching the, just the tip of the iceberg here as we talk about this. Um, if someone's listening and they're thinking, uh, two things, one that they're really drawn to the kind of relationship with God that that you're hearing Trevor talk about, but wondering how do I move that direction? You know, what are some tools that you might share with me that I can draw closer to God, develop a, a closer relationship or friendship with God? What, what might you give us? I think, again, such a helpful question. I think that, I think I would say, I would say three things, I think. <laughs> I think I would, I, would, I would encourage that person who is listening to really express that desire uh, to God very directly. God, I really want to come to know you more deeply and to really trust, to really trust that deep desire in that heart in their heart. So it's, it's really, I would, be I would invite that person to begin to take their longing and their desire seriously, to stay open to it and to live into it and to embrace it. And that longing, my, my, my spiritual director many years ago, early 90s, said to me, Trevor, your longing is your bus ticket home. And so, so to, to stay very close to your longing, don't, don't let it get lost. I think the second thing I would find, say, is find some companions on the journey who share that longing. Don't, don't go it on your own. Find, find some other folk who really also are living into their longing. Find some kindred spirits along the way. And I think thirdly, I would say, get in touch with those who are in pain um, within, within your own environment, whoever that may be, just get, I think Christ, to put it colloquially, Christ hangs out with those who suffer. And as I engage those who are in pain, Mm -hmm. um, somehow Christ has a way of working on my heart uh, in a very, very deep way. So I would say stay close to your longing, find some companions and get in touch within your own context uh, in a listening posture with those who are in pain. Oh. All right. That leads me really to this final question. You know, someone listening is saying, I, I want my church to move in this direction. Spiritual formation just lights my fire. And I want my, my church um, to move this direction. How do we engage our churches, um, I guess, in spiritual formation in, in a practical right. way, I suppose? Right. Yeah, right. You know, I think people, I think... Uh, 
people on the whole are sometimes resistant to us when I try change them. So I, so I, I don't think that's a helpful route to go. I think what is helpful, I think what is helpful is again to, to really go with those who want to go <laughs> to, to, um, you, you know, to, to really get alongside of those who, who do have this appetite or this longing for something more and be they two, three, 10, 20 people, but to go with those who want to go and yeah. then really trust that there will be something contagious about our life, our humanity, and our compassion that will whet the desire of others as well. So I wouldn't try change anyone, but I would, I, I would give myself wholeheartedly to, uh, to, emb to, emb to embrace the journey of, of formation, however that may look with the deep hope that there will be something contagious about it and that the, and that the fire will spread. Um, I, I think even hearing you say that, I, I once again sort of wake up to the reality that um, the spiritual formation journey or the maybe the deeper journey is not always one for the masses, if you will. And, sure. and for often a, uh, an institution that thrives on sure. numbers, you're never going to have sure. the big sure. numbers, right? Sure. <laughs> and, sure. and, but, but that's, but that's okay. That's, sure. that's okay. Sure. Um, that, that transformational journey is not always the most popular, <laughs> but, sure. but I, I, I go back again, though, to that, to invitational language, we can't change uh, anyone. Uh. Uh, but sure. but even inviting winsomely, sure. um, and God right. God speaks. Yeah. You know we we do we invite, right. but God, right. the Spirit of God nudges and does all all the rest. Right. You know, Ignat <sighs> Ignat Ignatius has a wonderful phrase um, yes. in the in the exercises where he encourages the person who's giving the exercises uh, to to let the creator deal with the creature. And, um, and I, I, I just find that so helpful that I'm not the Holy Spirit. Yes. So I'll, I'll let the creator deal with the creature, but that doesn't mean I do nothing. I can do the invite. I can do the inviting and the loving and the getting alongside. Uh, but in the end, I'm going to trust the creator to deal with the creature. What do you finally, I know I said finally before, but <laughs> what do you hope people walk away from seeking God with? What is your greatest hope for this book? Well, I think you've said it already, Anita. I hope that they will leave, they will finish the book with their appetite whetted to embrace the seeking journey, to in fact say, I really want to be a seeker. Um, mm in my life. I want to seek to follow Christ, to get to know him, uh, to love him a little bit more deeply and to follow him a little bit more closely. 
So if I can whet appetite for that, yeah. I'll be I'll be more than happy. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I love that. Trevor Hudson, what a delight. Always wonderful to speak with you. And and my own heart was just really warmed, challenged, uh, uplifted, <laughs> all of those words and more um, by this conversation today. Thank you. Thanks, Anita. Really, I value that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And to everyone, I always say and end podcast with keep the conversation going.